Um, I usually uh, speak to myself a lot and um, because I also need expert advice sometimes. So, so I've been struggling this week with uh, trying to prepare for the sermon. I, I think I have three topics to speak on, but this, this passage that uh, I chose from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10, spoke volumes to me, and, and that is the main reason why I, I decided to go with it. And, um, and it, it was basically like a conversation that I have with myself. And um, as I heard a preacher once say, this sermon is my conversation to myself, and I invite you to listen along. Again, the passage is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. A lot of us um, are familiar with this passage. I, too, have heard it read many number of times. And it was only last night, um, after a late-night stroll with a brother from this church, that I, something did click uh, because of something that he shared. And only now do I realize what it actually means and what, what God through the Holy Spirit wanted us to know by penning it through Paul. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And the reason why I, I titled this sermon Reminder of the Radical is because you see three radical things going on in that passage. Verses 1 to 3 it describes the sinful condition of the readers, past and the rest of humanity you see the, nature, the radical nature of depravity. In verses 4 to 7, you see it speaks of the great love and mercy of God who made the readers alive with Christ. That's the radical nature of redemption. And then in verses 8 to 10, it summarizes the nature of the salvation which God has effected, and this is the radical nature of salvation. If you look at Ephesians, Ephesians has six chapters and it is divided into two halves. The first three chapters are doctrines or the principles that Paul outlines. And the rest of the book, chapter 4 to 6, are basically his practical application of those doctrines. And the keys to understanding the book of Ephesians is the principal line from those first three chapters. And you find them at the end of each of those chapters. So, for example, if you go to Ephesians 1, verses 22 to 23, it reads... And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. It talks about Christ's headship over his body. 
Then Paul goes to chapter 2, verses 19 to 22, and it reads, And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. That is the unity in Christ's body. And lastly, if you go to chapter 3, verses 20 to 20, oh sorry, that was chapter 3, verses 20 to 21 that I read. I apologize. That is glory that the body gives to the head. The unity in Christ's body is 2, verses 19 to 20. So this is how it goes. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So just to reiterate, because of my confusion, So it's Christ's headship over his body that Paul talks about. Then he talks about unity in Christ's body. And then he talks about the glory that the body gives to its head. And if you keep these three principles in mind, you are able to basically understand the rest of what Paul says in Ephesians. And if you ask what is the significance of those three points in our passage today, it is this. So Christ is supposed to be the head over his body. But in this passage, in chapter 2, we see that the man, apart from Christ, is under the wrong headship. We are under the headship of the prince of the power of the air. What we are supposed to see is unity in Christ's body. But instead, we are seeing that men are enemies of God. We are enemies of Christ. The third one, we are supposed to see the glory that the body gives to its head. But what we see instead is man seeking his own glory because of his own flesh, because of his own body his own mind, and his own desires, which is in opposition to God. And Paul reminds us that we have a significant problem. It's not that we were raised the wrong way. It's not that we have not seen good enough examples. It's not that we haven't tried hard enough. The problem is that we are surrounded on every side by the world, by the flesh, and by the power of the prince of the air. And because of that, our desires are warped. Diving into it, verses 1 to 3, the radical nature of our depravity. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world. If you look at the term world, different uses, different meanings in the New Testament. You see Paul talks about uh, the world in reference to the created order. Sometimes it's talked, uh, talked about as referring to the Jews and the Gentiles. But in this instance, it is used in a sense that it is against God, that it opposes God. Because if you remember how when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he said, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the reason why he taught the disciples to pray that way is because whatever is going on on earth is in stark opposition to what, what is going on in heaven. The world is all we know. The world is what we were born into. It's like, it's like Aristotle's famous question, does the fish know when it is wet? And the answer is not until you take him out of the water. That is what we're born into, into this world. We know nothing else. We know only this world. And so when you are apart from Christ, it's not just that we have bad habits. You are part of this world system. 
you are opposed to God on every turn. But the thing is, the world, it's, it's, it's very subtle. It's very smart. It's not blatantly out there. It's not too obvious. There are these small adjust, adjustments that take place. It's like the matrix. Coming to the devil, you see the influence. Following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So there is the system that is set up. There is this world that we belong to, and we have this picture of reality that is painted for us. These things that are assumed because they are all that we ever know. And in addition to that, there is actually the devil behind all of this. Evil spiritual forces, demonic realms. And what we can do is we can either overestimate the power of the devil or we can underestimate the power of the the devil. And so what we have is we have this world that is teaching us to believe and how to think what is right and what is wrong, what is true and what is false, which again is very skewed. Then we have the spiritual reality of the devil himself, spiritual reality of demonic forces that is actively working against us from seeking God. These forces that are actively working to keep us blind. And then you come to the flesh in verse 3. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Paul is, Paul is closing out a loop over here when he mentions mankind. His point is referring back to the world. It's not small pockets of people here and there who are bad and some are good. It's the whole of mankind. Every single person that comes into this world is born a sinner. This world has an influence over every single person that comes into the world. The world and the devil are so powerful, if you think about it, it's because they give you what you naturally want. That's who we are. We're not people who would go after God on our own. And since the fall, since the fall of Adam... We are opposed to all good things. And that's what Paul talks about in Romans chapter 7, verses 18 to 19. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. There is nothing good in us. We, the world is all that we know. The world that is under the influence of Satan and our flesh that is trapped in this world, this is all that we know. There is nothing that we can do on our own merit or by our own strength to seek after God. Our sin comes from our sin nature. It is who we are. It is what we desire. Whether you like to hear it or not, it is what we desire. Some people are uh, in this delusion to think that we are born into this world innocent and pure and it is the world's experiences and the environments that we are exposed to that corrupt us. And that as we seek after God, as we pursue after God, it is the world and it is the devil that tells us, no, 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 don't go after God. But the truth of the matter is, that's not how it is. The truth isn't that simple. The truth is you came with fleshly desires that were against God. You came with a body and mind that was alien to God. 
that was averse to him, that caused you to rebel against him, that made you an enemy to him. You came into this world with desires that were evil. Desires that were so in line with the world and the devil that they did not have a problem with you. Such desires that they don't need to go after you. Because they were offering what your sinful self desired. They gave you exactly what your natural sinful self was looking for. The devil knows your name. And you know his voice. You were convinced that he loved you as much as you loved him. The world was home for you. A place of comfort. A place of refuge. A place that was desired and all that you ever wanted. The reason for this is because your very nature wanted it. That's why the doctrine of original sin is very important. If you don't get that doctrine, you fail to understand the sinfulness of sin. We think we are a result of our environments and experiences, but the Bible teaches us the opposite. When we came into this world, we are born sinners. I heard this saying before. People who don't believe in original sin don't have children. It's so humbling that a lot of you got it at the first shot. I actually had to sit and analyze it. I had to actually open our old seminar series and look at original sin to understand why. What is so funny about this? But anyway, a lot of people here have had babies. And some of you are going to have babies. And as uh, Vodi Bakum, a famous Baptist preacher, he says, that's not a little angel. That's a viper and a diaper. Because <laughs> you come into this world and you can barely hold your head up. For months, you can't talk. And a lot of us parents know how with such special treatment, we have to take care of these babies because the babies can't do anything for themselves. Oh, hold the head carefully. Oh, support the neck. Oh, don't look at him that way. <laughs> the baby that can't do anything. But the same baby can let everybody know that they are the ones running things, even though they can't do anything. The angry cry starts early. The demanding cry happens early. The stiffening up of the body in anger happens early. The rubbing of the feet happen early. The tantrums start early. Oh, he or she is so cute. That isn't cute. <laughs> One of the reasons God makes them so small is so that they won't kill you. And one of the reasons he makes them so cute and small is so that you won't kill them. <laughs> we are born sinners. We don't get that fact. That's why we don't have the urgency to share the gospel with the people around us. Our nice neighbors or the nice family that lives down the street. Because after all, they are just nice people. We don't understand this and so we don't understand the need for a radical redemption. We don't understand the radical depravity of man. We don't think we need to be saved. We just think we need to be helped. 
We don't think we need good news. We think we need good advice. We don't need the gospel. We just need 10 ways of being happy and 20 ways to reduce stress. Because that's our problem. Stress in life. Not that we're sinners. We hear people say it all the time. There's this dude in Texas. Goes by the name of Joel Osteen. He says that sinners don't need to be told that they are sinners. They know they are sinners. You know what? People don't know they're sinners. Because we sit in our fancy homes and we watch the news and we watch people hack other people to death and we say, that's a sinner, not me. We are under the illusion that we don't sin, we just make mistakes. We just make bad choices. We just need to be helped. We just need to form good habits. We think we're not sinners who are under the influence of this world. We think we're not sinners who are under the influence of the prince of the power of the air, but think we're just people who sometimes makes mistakes. But in reality, what are we? Verse 3, we were children of wrath. If you understand that we are children of wrath, we will understand that we don't need good advice or good habits. We need the good news. But the funny thing is, if you read those first few verses, there is no good news for us apart from Christ. We are dead under the influence of this prince of the power of the air, under the influence of the world, and all we do is oppose God. My flesh likes what this world and Satan has to offer. We don't need to be saved from this world or from Satan. We need to be saved from God. We need to be saved from God's wrath, the judgment that we so deserve. And enter verse 4 to 5, the radical nature of redemption. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. But God. A completely new situation has arisen, if you notice. And if you look closely, don't miss this. If you look closely in those verses that I read, there is no room for you. There is nothing that God saw in you. There is nothing that made you better than the next person who's sitting next to you. You did not have the answer to your sinful, depraved state of which you deserved the wrath of God, of which you deserved His holy judgment. The answer is, but God. You are dead. And you know what? There is nothing you can do about it. The only hope that you have is the grace of God. Now watch what happens. You were dead, but now you have life. God made us alive together with Christ. And what this is, this is regeneration. This is God making us born again. God's doing. God's act. A supernatural act. It is not something that we can ask for. It is something that God does. And He does this in His grace. Why? Because God is rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us. He does this because of what Christ did on the cross. He does this for His glory. There are Christians that do not believe that it is only because of God and His mercy and His work through Jesus Christ that we are saved. They believe that there is something that they have to do on their own that adds to the fulfilled mission of Christ. They think that they have these works that they have to do. And the reason why they believe this is because they do not understand the sinfulness of their sin. 
they don't understand that they are not capable of doing anything good. They do not understand that the world and Satan, along with our flesh, does nothing but oppose God. But instead, we willingly pursue the world and the flesh instead of God. We think all that we need is some help. Verse 6, And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, from dead to alive, from the course of this world to heavenly places. And the heavenly places is important in Ephesians. If you look at it, verses 1 to 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. One, uh, chapter 1, verses 20 to 21, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named. Chapter 3, verse 10, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. He has blessed us in the heavenly places. He has seated us in the heavenly places. Christ rules and reigns in the heavenly places. The church brings glory to God in the heavenly places. And so when we read chapter 6, verse 12, who gives you the right to be scared of the powers and principalities who are in the heavenly places? For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We are wrestling not with blood or flesh, but against spiritual forces in the heavenly places. But we forget that there is somebody else in the heavenly places, and that is Jesus Christ. Chapter 6 was not written to us to fear the devil. It was written to us to have faith in the one who rules and reigns in that realm. Verses 8 to 10, which is the nature of our salvation. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast For we, his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. If you notice from what we read from verse 1 in chapter 2 onwards, Paul started talking about man's condition when he was born, apart from Christ. And that's how we were in our depraved state. But then he goes on to talk about God's love and God's mercy and, and, and his grace and what he did to transform us. And if you notice... There is a complete reversal in man's standing, in, in his standing, in his actions when Christ was introduced into the formula. We went from being dead to being alive, from following the course of this world to being seated in the heavenly places, from following the prince of the power of the air, we follow the prince of peace, from gratifying our own desires to bringing glory to God. And all through this book, all that you read is in Christ with Christ which is a reminder that we are no longer under the power of the prince of the air, but we are under the prince of peace. We have been recreated. We are his workmanship. We are a new creation. And as verse 10 tells us, there is a work for us to do, which ultimately brings glory to God. That is the nature of our salvation. When you understand our complete depravity, 
Only then can you appreciate in some small limited way the need for our salvation and how great our salvation is. Only when you understand that you are a depraved and lost sinner, you begin to realize that you need a savior, not help. When you begin to understand that there is nothing in your ability that can save you, that is when you realize the need for Jesus. And as you understand the work of Christ on the cross, you not only understand what you are saved from, but you are also given insight into what you are saved into. You are a part of God's family. You have been purchased for God by Jesus' finished work on the cross. And slowly but surely you begin to understand the need for the gospel. You begin to understand that you don't need good advice. You don't need good habits. You don't need worldly counsel. But you realize the only way to get to heaven is if we have Christ in our lives. If you have the good news. On reading not only this passage, but the whole of Paul's letter to the Ephesians, I've been reminded of a truth about the challenges I have faced in the past few months. Once we have tasted this sweet salvation, and we do what new believers do, where we spend hours studying God's word, and we learn a few fancy terms, and we learn a few Greek words, and we think we have run the race. We fall under the false pretense that we are well protected, that we are safe in the world. We think that we are able to defend against anything that comes our way based on what we know and what we think we have achieved. We think we are able to stand and fight on our own. We think we have accomplished all in this new relationship with God. We think we are able to transform ourselves, translate ourselves into the light by our own strength and understanding. We put God in the backseat and we have convinced ourselves that we can roam dangerously close to the prince of the power of the air, to this world, to the flesh, and say, it's okay, I got this. But when you read the whole of Ephesians, well, the second half of the book is the practical application of the truths that Paul outlines in the first half. You come to realize that you don't got this. Because Paul, through the Holy Spirit, reminds us that it is in Christ that we have all that we need. Why do you think Paul ends his letter in chapter 6 by coming to the infamous warfare passage, the spiritual warfare? I was dead and I was living according to the pattern of this world. I was living under the influence of the prince of the power of the air and I loved it. I loved it because it was aligned with what my flesh, mind, and body desired. It was all I knew. But God, in his mercy and love, opens my eyes and I see the world and I see the devil. I understand that I am an, en and I am an enemy of God and that I deserve his wrath. But he saves me and it is glorious and I'm grateful. And this is all I know because this is all I know. I fall into this view that I have what I need now with the message of salvation. So I don't need the church or the fellowship of the saints or the ordinances or prayer or preaching of God's word to grow or become a better Christ follower. I think I can stay exactly where God found me and that I'll be okay. Even if I were not okay, I can with my own strength figure out how I can be more like Christ all by myself. But guess what? That's not how it works because it's never going to work. Paul reminds his readers that they need to be strong in the Lord. That's how chapter 6 opens up. You can't be by yourself because you don't know anything. 
All you know is this world. So how can you discern spiritual matters? How can you discern spiritual things? You don't know what you don't know. You need God's grace to face all things. The truth is, we don't know how messed up we are. Some people came to a pastor and told him, you know, with, with all the things that you've gone through and with your upbringing and the things that you've seen and the things that you've done, you, you turned out okay. The pastor told them, first of all, I'm not okay. And secondly, if you think I'm okay, it's because you're not okay. I have been reminded every day how much I need to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. And what humbles me is when we go, some of our men at church, we go for these uh, retreats in the U.S. and we meet so many people, different age groups. And even this church, we see a lot of the old, I'm not calling anyone old. I'm just saying a little more mature with a little more experience. But you see these old saints and they still look at you and they have this smile on their face and they're able to share with you what they have learned that day. And then you stand on this side and you, and you look and you think you've achieved everything and that just reminds you that you're not there yet. That there is so much more to gain because God is always opening up his truths to people. And what struck me is, if I'm not careful, I can still be comfortable in the world. If I'm not careful, I can still run and gratify my flesh. If I'm not careful, I can still tune into the voice of the prince of the power of the air. And so we need those reminders of grace. We need prayer. We need scriptures. We need preaching of the word. We need the table. We need the fellowship with the saints singing those great songs of faith that remind me over and over and over the things that I can easily forget. Understanding our depravity not only makes us sensitive to those who are lost, not only does it enable us to appreciate the magnitude of our salvation, but it also reminds us that we are still in desperate need because the world, the flesh, and the devil are still there. The victory has been won. But they are still there. We still have these treasures and clay vessels. We still have our weaknesses. We still need to be vigilant. We need to be aware of the flesh, the world, and the devil, but never afraid. Why? Because I'm not dead anymore. I'm alive. Why am I not afraid anymore? Because we have been made alive together with Christ. By grace, we have been saved. I am not afraid because I know that I can go on with life in Christ, not alone. Let's pray. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for this wonderful opportunity you've given to us this Sunday morning. We'd like to start off by asking for forgiveness for the sins that we have committed against you and against your body and against our own bodies. We pray that our sins wouldn't stand in the way of our relationship with you. We thank you for the reminder through your word that 
that our battle is not against each other, it is not in, against flesh and blood, but it is a spiritual battle. That it is fought in realms that is beyond our understanding and beyond our scope. There are battles fought where we cannot see, where we have no control, where we are, we are incapable of doing anything for ourselves but God. We thank you for sending your son down on earth on behalf of sinners like us so that he may win the victory for us. So that he may equip us in the spiritual battle that is going on. We pray that we don't fall to this false notion that we can take care of ourselves once we have tasted the sweetness of salvation. Remind us every day that we need to be protected by you because we are surrounded by the world. We are surrounded by the flesh. We are surrounded by the power, the prince of the power of the air. But we are never lost because we have you with us. Sanctify us and keep us, keep us always wanting to be conformed to the image of your Son. Remind us daily, Heavenly Father, that we are lost without you and we need you every step of the way till you, come, till you send your Son again to collect his people for himself. This we ask in the most precious name for Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.